Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for Hebrews chapter. Uh, we're in one and two, and we just thank you for that, Lord. And we just thank you for your text. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who teaches us through um, the word. And we just thank, I thank you for these men and women who are journeying uh, together with me and uh, with Mick, Lord. I just thank you for uh, just this class. And we get, to, we get to get to know you a little bit more. And God, I, it pains me to pray this, but I'm thankful for the three types of students we talked about last week because they're going to show up again tonight. And I, they, they really are helping me to study and to prepare. And I just, I'm thankful God that, um, that your word was written to real people in real situations. And that makes it ever so cool and ever so applicable. We just pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. All right. One last check around here, making sure everything is good. All right, great. Well, welcome. We are in our second session of our Hebrew study. I wanted to open with, you'll see on the screen up there, uh, I got two introductions. One is Jesus and Martha. This is in John 11. Uh, so on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been already in the tomb for four days. So, so in that, you can place yourself in that story. You know what's been going on. They called out to Jesus and get over here. He's dying. He's sick. And Jesus did not come quickly. Okay. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Oh, uh-oh. This is a potential recipe for bitterness. What's going to happen with dear Martha here? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now pay attention. Pay attention to what she says here. Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus wasn't having that. Jesus said to her, as if he's saying, hold on, sweetie. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever believes, excuse me, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I mean, he's saying this to a woman who just buried her brother. Whoa. But he doesn't let her off the hook, does he? He doesn't just play theological semantics with her. He then kind of gets in her theological face, as it were, and says, now, do you believe this? Dang. And to her credit, she gives maybe the greatest line in the New Testament from a person not named Jesus, other than Peter. I mean, it's pretty cool. She's like, well, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into this world. Well, good job. That's pretty cool. Well done, Martha. Why do I bring that up? Well, introduction number two, the temptation of the yeah, but. For those of you going, what in the world are you talking about, yeah, but? We have three students in the book of Hebrews. 
Okay, and these are these are imaginary students, but these students might be you. You might be one of these. The first person, the first student, and we're going to meet all three of these tonight. Okay, in the middle of the page there, you can see the interlude. We're going to meet student number two, the weary. And at the very end, we're going to conclude with student number three, the clay. But student number one is the yeah, but. What is the yeah, but? I know better, especially when it comes to God and the things of God, but I have other priorities. And see, this could have been Martha. This could have been Martha right here, where Jesus says, your brother's going to rise again. Your brother will rise again. That was a temptation for a yeah, but right there. She could have been like, yeah, 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 I get it. I get it. You know, the great day of the Lord, one day, everyone, every Jew believes that, that one day there's going to be a great reversal. And my brother's going to, oh, yeah, I get it. All the dead will rise. Okay, fine. You know, Daniel, in the book of Daniel, talks about that. Some rising to everlasting life, some to everlasting death. Yes, 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 Jesus. I get that. That was a prime yeah, but moment in, in Bible history right there. Or at least it could have been. That could have been Martha's great yeah, but. But Jesus didn't let it get there, did he? He didn't let her just sit there and stew with her, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, now, do you believe this? The yeah, but doesn't want to deal with that. The yeah, but says, I know better when it comes to God, but I, I have other priorities. I got other things I'm working on. I got, you know, I've got my gym membership and I got it in my pocket. I could go if I wanted to. I don't have to worry about that. I'm probably not going to go. I don't have to deal with this, but I have the membership. I could deal with it if I wanted to. That's the yeah, but. The temptation of the yeah, but is to sit, sit there. Our text tonight, especially these first few verses, these first 10 verses, it's going to be a bunch of Old Testament evidence for why Jesus is superior than the angels. And the yeah, but's going to be like, all right, fine, great. That, that doesn't tell me anything. That, that, that checks a little box in my brain. Yay, go Jesus. But it doesn't have to change anything about me. Whatever. Okay, yeah, he's God. I get it. You know, he, the angels are not God. I get that too. Whatever. It doesn't matter. And see, by the time we get to the end tonight, we're going to knock that out of the park. Because you have to change. Something has to be different. And so... That's the temptation of the yeah, but to give it lip service, but not heart service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know my brother will rise again. No, 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 no. I am the resurrection. There's something different here about Jesus. There's something different going on here. When you bring Jesus into the mix, now things are different. Now things are whole. They're complete. Yeah, but doesn't apply anymore. You could yeah, but the angels and yeah, but all that spirituality that... But Jesus, something's different here. Well, let's dig into this. Now, I wrote on the page here, you can see there's seven pieces of Old Testament evidence. I want you to know that the author of Hebrews uh, was a really good rhetorician, a really good student of Greek, and he was very, very familiar with his Bible. The Bible he used was the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So when you see these citations, if you go back in those verses and go, oh, that's not how it reads. Just remember, he's quoting from the Septuagint. And so sometimes there's a little bit different ways to go about things. Okay, that is something that I just want to let you know off the top, off top, top of the head here. But I want to read these things to you. Uh, there's one to seven, and these are the verses they correspond with. 
So here we go. Verse four, it says, so he, he's speaking of Jesus. We've been speaking of Jesus last week. He became, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus, last week he was superior to the prophets. Okay, they gave their words, all the Old Testament prophets, all those heroes of the faith. They gave their word, God spoke through them, and now God has spoken through his son, fully and finally. So the word through Jesus, I mean, it's, 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 he is now superior to all of them. So really, you don't have too much left. Next week, we're going to look at Moses in particular, but this week, he's superior to the angels. For which of the angels did God ever say? You are my son. I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now, you might have a little bit of pushback here because those of you who really know your Old Testament might say, well, wait a minute. The angels are sometimes called sons of God. You'll see that in the Job story. You'll see that with like in the Genesis, like the Nephilim kind of thing. You'll see some of these things, but the angels are the sons of God. Yes, but they're kind of like a category. They're not the son of God. So which of them, which angel did God ever single out and go, you're my son? And the answer is that the author of Hebrews is going for here is none. So Psalm 2. Or again, I will be his father, he will be my son. 2 Samuel 7. Verse 6, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. In the ancient world, they thought angels were made of fire. One of the things that was tempting in the ancient world was to see, especially in the Roman world, they saw the, the, the stars, the stars in the sky, those were the angels. And they looked at the various planets. Oh, those are the other gods and goddesses. And the stars were angels. And stars, you know, they, they wink in, they wink out. Um, and we're not surprised when, um, when in the New Testament, they describe an angel as having like appearance like lightning or like clothes like light. And lightning is a natural fire. So in the ancient world, even in the ancient Jewish world, um, they, the angels were equated with something with fire, but the most important part about that is not the fire part, it's the servants part. It's just a reminder, you've got the sun and you've got servants underneath. And so which of these angels is, is, is of the rank of the sun? No, they're all servants. Uh, Mick texted in, correct me if I'm wrong, but God himself doesn't call the angels his son. It is the Bible writers who call them sons of God. Yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know. He never calls... Um, from my recollection, there are two people in the Bible that are called the Son of God. And one is, is lo a logical thing. It's Adam. Because who else, who else is he going to be the Son of? Um, but he's not the Son of God. So he makes a natural, you know, when, when Paul takes, we've got the first Adam, the second Adam, talking about Christ. And one brought sin into the world, one fully dealt with sin, the other did. So yeah, and the second one is Jesus. And so the sons of God are kind of like a, they're, they're part, they're, they're not human, but they're also not God. Um, but yeah, isn't the angel of the Lord Jesus, Daniel says, he's not Jesus in the way that we know Jesus, because Jesus at that point had not yet taken flesh. 
you can argue that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is God the Son or God when he takes light. You could argue that. As it's, I agree he's a theophany. You could argue it is a Christophany. But to say it's Jesus in particular, he has not yet come out of Mary's womb. So, but yes, I, I hear what you're saying. But yeah, um, we continue. Verse 8, but about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Verse 10, he also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Wow. Verse 13, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Can you think of any time in the Bible where the angels sit down? You know what? There might be one sitting outside the tomb, but sitting down before God, do we see angels in the, in the Bible anywhere before God sitting down? No, they stand. The most famous angel of all, Gabriel, he stands before John the Baptist's daddy and tells him, I'm Gabriel. I mean, an angelic mic drop moment with Zechariah there. Say, like, well, how do I know this is going to come true? I'm Gabriel. I stand before God. You see, the angels are standers. They're ready at a moment's notice to go do God's business. They're not sitting. God sits. Jesus sits. We talked about that last week. So they say, which of these angels are sitting down in heaven? No, none. God didn't say, sit at my right hand, angels, until I make an enemy a footstool of your feet. Verse 14 is one that confuses people, but it's not that confusing. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation, will inherit salvation? Who is he talking about there? Us. That we will inherit salvation. You see, your, your salvation has a past quality to it in that there was a time when you um, gave your life to Jesus where you admitted you were a sinner, you trusted in him alone for your salvation, you committed yourself to him and confessed your sins. That was in the past, most likely. That's a past element of your salvation. You're living in a present element of your salvation where the gospel continues to change you. More on that at the very end of our study today. But there's a future element. You get this future element right here, that one day we're going to inherit this full and final, because we still deal with sin right now, but one day we won't. You know, in 1 Peter 1, where he's talking about one day we're going to obtain the salvation of our souls. I thought I'm already saved. You are. But one day it's going to be full and final. And the angels are sent to serve those that belong to Jesus. Wow. The blue text here, life just got real. I remember, I remember being a daddy for the first time. 
that's my, we got to bring home my, my son. Uh, I was a daddy before then, but we got to bring a baby home from the hospital for the first time. I'll say it that way. And it was that moment where they just got done checking out, like the nurses check out your, your, your stroller. They check out the car seat. They make sure, okay, is this good? Is this good? Is this good? Yes, this checks out. Yes, this checks out. And uh, okay. And, you know, it's like uh, the fire department's already checked out the, 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 what I put in the back seat kind of thing. Is it bolstered nicely? The, the, the car seat kind of holder thingy, everything checks out, but okay. We're finally, my wife is holding the bit. We're finally getting pushed to the front door. My son spent some time in, in, in the intensive care unit for a while. We were there for a while, but finally we got to go home. At that point, we were going to have no nurses watching over us, ask, answering our millions of questions that we always had. At that point, life just got real. Parenting just got real. And yes, I kept the pediatrician on the speed dial and, and called every little thing for that, you know, the first kid. By the, by the time it was the second kid, maybe the third kid, it's like, yeah, 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 whatever. But for the first kid, every little thing, you're like, oh my gosh, he did this, he did this, he did this. And this is the temperature, this, what do I give him now? And he's like, okay, just go to Walgreens. Okay, just go do this, you know, do this, do this, do this. It's, uh, don't worry, I know what's going on, don't worry. But, you know, your life got real. And I was afraid a little bit. Oh man, what if we're going to make a mistake? I mean, I mean, that was the blessing of having my son in the NICU. It's like, well, we're, we're there surrounded by a million nurses and, and at a moment's notice, anything could happen. And, you know, all of a sudden a bunch of people could help and everything was good. But you finally go home. Life just got real. You see, that's the way with these Old Testament verses. They're great. They say a lot. The author of Hebrews is saying, yeah, they, they, God has made his point clear that the, his son is greater than the angels. But now life has just got real. What are you going to do with that? How are you now going to live this life? Huh, Mr. Yabut, yeah, Mrs. Yabut? Yeah, you can't do a Yabut yeah, with Jesus. I mean, really, you can't. There is just no, well, you know, I, I know he's Jesus, but, you know, no, that doesn't work with Jesus. Jesus changes your life. Everything changes when, when Jesus comes on the scene. Everything. You can't play games like that with Jesus. He's the most unique person in all of history. Everything, everything just got real. The temptation of the weary. What's the weary? Remember the yeah, but says, I know better, but I have other priorities. That doesn't play with Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you do what I say. There's no, I love you, Jesus, but. They tried that, yeah, but. If you love me, you do what I say. It's like, hey, I don't even know you people. I don't even know you. A terrifying verse in the New Testament. The weary says, I don't want to deal with my situation appropriately. And I want some kind of answer. Preferably if it means I don't have to make a big decision. The weary is theologically more advanced than the yeah, but. The yeah, but is just, you know, whatever. The weary is like, yeah, I, I really believe you, Jesus. I'm fully committed. I, I, I'm your girl. I'm your guy. I mean, I am yours, Jesus, but I'm just tired. I'm tired of answering questions. I'm tired of dealing with things. I'm just weary. I just can't deal with anymore. 
I just rather you just come again and just you, you solve everything, Lord. I don't, I don't have anything more to do in my life. I don't want to do any more work. I remember when I came on the scene at the previous church I was at, I was a solo pastor there, just a young kid in my late 20s coming on the scene, and a lot of people older than me, one generation, two generations, one gal I think was three generations older than me. And they, they, they liked the fact that I had passion, that I had, you know, spit and fire. I, I, they, they loved that about me. A lot of you like that about me, too. But like, oh, yeah, this guy is going to bring some youth to our church and everything is going to go. And I'm like, yeah, let's try this. Let's try this. And at one point, one of my dearest friends kind of looked at me and says, Joel, we love you, pal. We're just tired. We've tried everything. We're just tired. We don't have the energy. We don't want to really do much anymore. We're, we're just tired. That's the weary. They fully believe in God. They know God can. They know God will. They just don't want to go any further. It's like, I just can't do much more. I just can't. I'm just, I'm just, I just, I've got an excuse. I just don't want to. I'd rather God deal with it instead of I have to deal with it. That's a temptation for some of us. We know changes have to be made in our life. But it's so much easier to say, come, Lord Jesus, than it is to say, come rule me, Lord Jesus, and change me. That's that old line, revival, come, but start that revival with me. There's a comic strip that has like, okay, a guy at the lectern going, who wants change? And all the hands are raised. Now, who wants to change? And all the hands are down. I don't have time to change, God. I mean, come on, God. I mean, I've given you all my life. I'm getting older. I'm weary. That's a temptation. But that does not play with chapter two. Now what? Two, one to four. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation of disobedience received as just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Wow. So the weary here has four different things here that he's, he's struggling with or she's struggling with. The first thing here, the Bible calls it out, pay careful attention. You see, when God comes on the scene, when life just gets real, when theology all of a sudden turns and starts to really change lives, you see, there really wasn't an answer for sin in the Old Testament. It wasn't a full and final kind of answer. It was like the old piece of atonement in the Old Testament, I've said this before, was kind of like whiteout. You know, you, you type, 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 and you use whiteout. You made a mistake, you white out the thing, and you, you blow it, and you blow it dry, and you can start typing again. Is that mistake gone? No. It's underneath that whiteout, but it's been covered over. So now you can type again and turn the paper in. That's really what atonement does. And the Day of Atonement kind of once a year kind of makes it a bit more final, and it's kind of like a pointing to what Christ is going to do. But yeah, Mick texting is it's sort of like a salvation layaway. Kind of. Yeah. And, and, and so, but now Jesus is here. It all just got real. 
you can't play games with Jesus. He's not one of God's servants that Israel kept ignoring and kept ignoring and kept ignoring and kept ignoring and put them to death and put them to death and put this one to death. Now this is the son. You can't ignore this. This is God himself. You can't ignore him. You got to pay careful attention. Pay, pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what you have heard so that you do not drift away. That's number two. And you know what? I don't really know if this is a lose your salvation kind of thing. I don't know. As a Reformed theologian, I, I read scripture that says, all that the Father is going to give to me, no one's going to snatch out of my hand. But you see, there's an element about drifting away where when you're so weary, you've stopped fighting for things, you've stopped standing up for things, you've stopped being a public person with your faith, and you're just kind of like, whatever, whatever, I'm just going to be quiet and sit over here for a while. You've stopped actually living your faith publicly. You live it privately. You have a great devotional life. You have all these things going for you, but you just, you just kind of, you don't stay in your public lane like you used to. Because you don't want to, you're tired of fighting the same battle. You're tired of, you know, upsetting people. You're whatever it is, whatever excuses are, and some of them are more valid than others in your mind, fine. Whatever rationalization you hold to, fine, but you've drifted away from the one you used to be. That's where I think he's going here. He's talking to Christians. This is written to a church, and a church who is in the Roman Empire, who is up against it. No, they're not as up against it as other churches have been. These people are most likely not losing their lives, but they're weary. They're inconvenienced. Life stinks for them. Don't drift away. It's kind of like saying, well, I was going in one direction, but now I'm over here somewhere. Well, what are you doing? Get back. Hold on a second. Don't ignore. My kids are masters at ignoring. I have to turn into a monster for them to hear me sometimes. I'll say their name like 19 times, you know, from to get their attention. But the 20th time, when I, when I get a, a, a scarier voice, all of a sudden, whoa, whoa, you're yelling. Well, there was 19 times of calm voice there. You know, kids selectively ignore when they want to. That is kind of like what they, one of their superpowers is ignoring when they want to ignore. And that might be your superpower too when it comes to God. Don't ignore. Don't ignore. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? Are you ignoring your salvation? That which should be the most important thing to you? Do you ignore it? How are you supposed to uh, live a life that pleases God if you ignore the most important thing about you and God? You can't ignore that. No wonder you've drifted off course. You're not paying attention. You're, 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 not, you're not staying on course. You're ignoring what you shouldn't be ignoring. There's just no escape. You see, the weary wants to escape. They want to escape dealing with things. They want to escape having tough conversations. They want to escape actually having to deal with their own life, having to deal with the mess they've become, having to deal with the hypocrite they've been, have to deal with, you know, there's a hard conversation they have to have or have to deal, have to deal with, you know, this, I don't want to talk to my kids about this. I don't want to talk to my coworkers about this. I don't want to talk. I mean, my goodness. I'm not saying that being angry with you. My goodness, for a lot of my life, I've been the weary one. For a good part of my life, I was the yeah, but. And the temptation of the yeah, but is every day there for me. Every day. The temptation of the weary is every day there for me. 
like, oh, just don't get involved. Don't deal with this. Just, just whatever. God's going to handle it. Just you don't say anything. And when, when things ought to be said, but you just refuse to say. That temptation's all the time. No escape. How are you going to escape? The, 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 the weary one wants to escape. They like the escape. I got to the point this morning where I had some phone calls. And I, I was like in my first cup of coffee. And I got a phone call and I sat there looking at my phone going, I don't recognize the number. Maybe, oh, maybe it's that guy who's going, hey, we, we've got something with your car's warranty, the recorded message that everyone's getting. And I was actually hoping it was that guy because I didn't want the phone call. It was too early for me. And, uh, and it wasn't that guy. It was another pre-recorded message I got to hang up on. But later on in the morning, that guy called again. There was an issue with your car's warranty, you know, some garbage like that. I was, I was rooting for that guy. Please be that guy. I don't want a phone call right now. I'm just, I'm selfish. I want to get in my first cup of coffee, leave me alone kind of thing. And yeah, I wanted to escape. And that's just something silly, but some of us have things we really have to deal with. But it's a lot more comforting to not deal with them. Life to the gospelist. What? What's that all about? That's a weird, that's not even, not even a word. It's life to the fullest, pastor. What's your problem? Yeah, I know. I made up a word, didn't I? Life to the gospelist. That's cheesy. That is cheesy. You might not forget it, though. God also testified to this by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Yes, this gospel is the real deal. Your life, every aspect of your life, needs to be about the gospel. I'm not saying you got to sit there and get saved every day or something like that, like some cheesy church or every week the same two people come forward to get baptized. No. What I am saying is the fact that you used to be, used to be separated from God and now by the grace of Jesus, you're not. You're, you're, you're not been reconciled. Now you can bring the gospel to the people in your life who need the gospel. You need to forgive. Or you need to make amends. You see, the gospel changes. When you live the gospel, you're less you and you're more Jesus. What area of your life does not need that? In fact, if you're writing things down right now, or write some things down. That, this is what needs to change about me. Because the old me is this current me. the still me. That can't be me anymore. I need to live my life to the gospelist. I need to live my life to the fullest of the gospel. That needs to be me. It's like when, when, when uh, John the Baptist said in Luke, you, you, you're going to repent, are you? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Your, your life ought to be about repentance. And there ought to be fruit hanging on your tree that comes from that repentance. Live life to the gospelist. Be the clay. Remember the third, the first student, the yeah, but says, I know better, but I have other priorities. The weary says, I don't want to deal with my situation appropriately. And I want some kind of answer, preferably if it means I don't have to make a big decision. The clay says, I see the seasons of my life as times to be molded and shaped. Teach me, God, during these harder times. So when you've gone through a horrible 2020, where life didn't make sense, where the year just sucked. It was just one more thing after the next thing. The clay would say, okay, God, this is, this is not fun. 
Teach me though. What are you trying to teach me during this horrible season? I want to know. I want to grow. I'm a big lump of clay. Make me into something. Even if it hurts. So what's the clay do? Let me, let me drag the screen down here so we can see. Okay, be nice screen. There we go. All right. Rather than paying, you know, the, 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 the weary doesn't pay careful attention, the clay is alert. The clay looks for opportunities. He's alert. The New Testament calls, I think Peter says, be alert and sober-minded. You see, when you're, when, when you're drunk, you're not alert. You're just kind of just here. You're just, you, things don't, you, know, you don't catch things quickly or whatnot. Um, yeah, be spiritually sober. So be alert, ready, willing. When the Holy Spirit says go, you say, yes, sir. You're ready for it. You're, you're, you're listening. You're, you're focused now. When you're, not, you, when you're focused, you're not going to drift away. You're going to be alert. You're going to pay attention. You're going to be focused. You don't drift away. What do you want, God? You know, I, I, many days I, I open with this prayer, God, you know, give, give, help me to give you glory today. And give me opportunities, Lord, where I can give you glory, where I can represent you. But you see, you can pray for opportunities. When the opportunities come, you're like, oh, I'll take the next one. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's that all about? Be alert, be focused, responding. You know, the, 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 the weary ones just, might just ignore. But respond. John the Baptist, again, John 3, says, he must become greater, I must become less. What about you is greater than Jesus? I don't know. Or better put, is there an area of your life where, you, where, where he is not the king? How are you going to respond? You're probably distracted in that area. You're probably divided from God in that area. How are you going to respond to God? How are you going to respond when someone comes up to you and says, please forgive me? What am I supposed to forgive you? Are, I mean, you, you've, you've, you've hurt me all the, am I supposed to just forgive you? I mean, that's just it. And then that, there's nothing else more that we're not going to have conversations. Really? I just have to forgive you. Don't you know what kind of jerk you, you probably don't even say that inside. You're going, Oh, he wants me to forgive him. Are you able to respond the way God expects you to respond when God expects you to respond? I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing exactly in your heart right now or this week or this month. But how you are supposed to be responding, the weary doesn't want to do it. The yeah, but never does do it. The weary might, but it's going to come, you know, going to pull me into the fight kind of thing. The clay says, oh, it's on. Yes, Lord, whatever you want, Lord. Because if I don't do that, Lord, I'm never going to change, Lord. Alert, focused, responding, diligent. Ooh, diligence. Oh, anyone who's dealing with a hurt habit or a hang-up, that, that hurt habit or a hang-up is always there. It's always knocking at the door of your heart. It's always right there, Johnny, on the spot when you're tired and when you're cranky and when you're hungry, when you're depressed, when you're anxious. It's right there saying, I have the answers. 
but the clay is diligent. The clay says, heck no. Heck no. And when the clay doesn't say heck no, the clay ends his day or ends her day with, Lord, I failed you today with these two or three areas. I'm turning away from those areas. I'm turning back to you. I'm saying, God, please forgive me for how I acted in these areas and give me the power, Lord, to do better tomorrow because I can't be about me. See, that's the clay. The weary doesn't want to deal with it. The yeah, but never does deal with it. So Jesus, the gate in you. We're going to close with John chapter 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, or amen, amen. I am the gate for the sheep. See, we're used to him saying, I am the good shepherd. We hear him say, I am the gate for the sheep. Like, what is this? Go to the good shepherd. That's what's on my Bible cover. That's what's on my bookmark. That's what's in. I, I, I like the good shepherd verse. What's this gate for the sheep? You're going to love the gate for the sheep. It might be one of your new favorite verses. Here we go. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. And there are one of the arguments is the thieves are one that would kind of come into the gate and try to steal the sheep. Robbers are ones that like were in the woods waiting for you to pass by and they kind of pounce. It's like, and the, the Jewish, you know, Jewish prudence system had like different you know, punishments for whatever category you were in. But Jesus is like, it doesn't matter because neither of them is me. Okay. And so I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. It's one of those I am sentences. The gate? We like I am the resurrection and the life. What you told to Martha back at the beginning. I'm the gate? Jesus, I'm sure you're going somewhere with this, but we got to know. Okay, let's know. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Okay. That's like John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, okay. But he's talking about sheep here. Well, the sheep had the sheep pen. All right, and there's a little you know gate that, that, that no one else is going to get in. You have to go through the gate. You come out to the gate. And modern interpreters talk about how shepherds would lay down at the gate. No one could get in, and that's how they keep people away. That may be true, but that doesn't matter to Jesus right here because he is the gate. They come in and go out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Ah, now I got you figured out, Joel. That's why you did this first, because the whole gospelist thing. You, want to have, you, wanted to, you wanted to make up to Jesus by, by actually quoting his verse instead of messing up his verse with life to the gospelist. No, it's life to the full. Yeah, yeah, I got you figured out. All right, fine, fine, you caught me. I did search for the verse. I wanted to put it on there. But when I searched for the verse, it kicked my butt. This whole gate. Why does the gate matter? What's he say again? These sheep are going to come in, and they're going to go out and they're going to find pasture. What in the world is that all about? They're going to go about their business. What's the business of a sheep? To eat, to poop, to have grass, to have water, to run around. I don't know. They just, they go in, they come out. And every day they're in, they're out, they're in, they're out. And they've just got a simple life. Jesus is talking about that life. They go in, they come out. How do they do so? Because of Jesus. He lets them out. He brings them back in. You see, the clay looks at their life that way. 
I'm not going about my day unless the shepherd lets me out of the pen. And he has, he has things planned for me to do. And then I come back to the pen and I go to sleep. And that's every single day. He is my gate. He is the one that opens up and has business for me. I better be doing, giving him glory when I go about that business. He brings me back home and I'm able to find my rest in him. What a beautiful, beautiful image. You see, the clay realizes that that sheep is him or her. And every day is one more opportunity to be used by your shepherd for his glory as a sheep of his pasture. Jesus, the gate, and you. You've got to pay attention to your salvation. Life has got real when Jesus is on the scene. It's real now. Not that the Old Testament wasn't real. But it's now complete. Jesus is on the scene. There's a new sheriff in town. There is no more yeah, but. You're done with the yeah, but. The weary can become the clay. It's a perspective change. But you can do it. My prayer is, as we keep going through the book of Hebrews, that the weary will become the clay. See yourself as one of the shepherd's sheep. He loves you. He provides for you. He is your purpose. He is your identity. He enables your coming in and going out. Now live in such a way that not only honors him, pays careful attention to him, not drifting away from him, not ignoring him, not trying to escape him, but lives that kind of full gospel-centered life with Jesus. That's the best life. This has been the end of Hebrews chapter one, the beginning of chapter two. We're going to deal with Moses next week. Jesus Superior to the angels, but he's your shepherd. God bless.